0: Hey, sales audience, it's Tyler Lindley here, your host. Today I have on David Primer with Cerebral Selling. Uh, welcome to the show, David.
1: Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Tyler.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you do and, and what is cerebral selling.
1: Yeah, so like I, I like to say I'm kind of like the happy accident of the sales world, like the Bob Ross, where you know, most of us, if I were to ask people like, did you get into sales on purpose? Like, you know, when you were you mentioned you went to Clemson, well, you're studying at Clemson, you say to yourself, you know what I want to be? when I grow up. Uh, <laughs> did you do
0: that? Uh, yeah, I don't know a little bit. I was a marketing major, you know, they didn't have a sales major at the time. So I guess I thought I might end up in sales, but uh, you know, I don't think it's anyone's aspirations. Uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, well, like you, absolutely. We all tend to get into sales by accident yeah. everyone has a story and, and I'm no different. So I started my career 20 years ago as a research scientist and then ended up getting into sales by accident at the turn of the dot-com boom, where in a whole bunch of tech companies were hiring, you know, just general people to kind of do stuff. I started my career as a sales, a sales engineer, so solution engineer, You know, for a shout out to people who are solution engineers out there, but absolutely fell in love with sales and ended up spending the next 20 years spent across four high growth startups. Uh, three of those startups ended up getting acquired. Uh, one got acquired by Salesforce, and I came over to Salesforce, spent five awesome years there running small business sales for the Eastern US. Uh, before yada, 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 I realized that, you know what? I don't like talking to salespeople <laughs> all that much. <laughs> I don't know, I don't wanna put you on this buddy, or Todd. Do you like talking to salespeople?
0: Well, you know, in this podcast, I get to talk to a lot of sales <laughs> folks, so uh, it's interesting. Um, I, we were just talking about how I've had to take off my sales hat and try to listen more and not interrupt. So uh, it's definitely an interesting conversation because sales folks can tend to drag on and on and on. I've, I'm, I'm having to learn when is the right time to cut a salesperson off, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, you know what? Like I, salespeople, I love, first of all, I love salespeople. I mean, this is what, this is my chosen profession. It's what I love. I've always loved the people. I've worked with my teams, but I had this epiphany where, you know, I was advocating oftentimes for sales tactics that were not ineffective and not unethical, but just things that when they were done to me, they would never work and Mm -hmm. didn't work. Right. And so I kind of started embarking upon this journey of like, okay, well, how do, when I said it like this, customer got it and liked it. When I said it like this, they didn't really like it very much. When my team members you know, said it like this or did it like this. It kind of turned the customer off. So I started on this very kind of deep journey of asking like, well, why? Like mm-hmm. well, this profession that I love so much, why is it that some people are more successful at doing it than others? And what are they doing? And how as a buyer do we feel about these interactions? And so I started doing a lot of writing mm-hmm. when I was at Salesforce and content ended up getting kind of picked up by, you know, Forbes, Entrepreneur, all these great outlets. So I started a website called Cerebral Selling just so I would have an outlet to kind of, you know, to kind of share some of the thoughts and insights about my science and empathy-based journey of learning about sales. And, you know, I realized that that was the thing I was actually most passionate about. So a few years ago, I started Cerebral Selling as a business, which is primarily focused on sales education, training, speaking, that kind of stuff. I recently wrote a book, as you know, but that's been my journey. And it's been a dream to take the profession that I love and help kind of the modern generation of sellers do the thing that they love to do in a way that is very thoughtful, empowering, in a way that makes buyers love them, uh, using these powers of science and empathy. So that's what I do at Cerebral Selling.
0: Awesome, very cool. So it sounded like it started off as kind of a side project, a blog, if you will, in, in, in your time at Salesforce. Is that right?
1: Well, actually, no. So when I, I left Salesforce, I had, I had amassed quite a, a bunch of content, You know, dozens of articles. Mm-hmm. And so I left Salesforce uh, to be VP of sales at my fourth startup. And then I realized I kept writing. For Salesforce and I kept doing events for Salesforce. Not, you know, I love Salesforce absolutely, but they provided a great platform for me to share my thoughts. And so I just ended up with all this content. And what happened was when my buddy Tyler calls me up and says, Hey, David, do you have, uh, you know, content to help me? I was just I was sending you links to all of these websites, which <laughs> was insane. So I just started the web, my website, Cerebral Selling, as a place to consolidate all these right. things. And then once I did, I just started using that as mail to write more, and that's how it started.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think one thing that sales folks don't do enough is actually create content themselves. I think some of them look to the marketing team or look to others to you know give me all these tools I need to sell. Whereas we all have this huge microphone. Literally, I've got one right in front of me. Uh, that is that is the internet that that can amplify our message. And I think as sales reps, it's almost our responsibility now to to have a personal brand. And to, and to you know write some of that messaging yourself or your audience don't depend on others to do it. I mean, what do you think about that, David?
1: Well, absolutely. When you think about like selling, like I don't know how many other professions, like maybe medicine where you get to see, you know, dozens of patients every day, but in sales, we speak to tons of customers every day. Customers who have problems that we're trying to figure out how our solutions and our marketing and all of our efforts align to. And it's different than a normal job that was, I would say, quote unquote, normal, where you come <laughs> to work and you go to meetings and you have like, we have all of these touch points and we learn so much along the way. The the problem I found with this, you know, kind of the modern sales engine is that some people don't learn as quickly as they should, right? So <laughs> we go out, we make these calls, we execute these tactics. And in all fairness, a lot of these tactics are things that have been taught to us by people who have been in sales for a long time over the years. Mm-hmm. But the problem is a lot of these tactics don't work. Mm. anymore. They don't work the same way they used to because the modern buyers is so different than they were even five, 10 years ago. And Mm so the modern sales profession hasn't caught up. We have this, you're totally right. We have this great opportunity to catch up and share what we learned if we are attentive and attune ourselves to what's actually happening, which Mm -hmm. I think is, that's, that's the core message. Like, pay attention, ask why a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I love Ask Why. Uh, Start With Why, Simon Sinek as I think a great book that not only applies to businesses, I think it applies to individuals as well because we all have our own why, uh, but we also need to be curious. Uh, that's a big, I think, trade in sales. What where, where do you think curiosity fits in with sales and this and this wanting to know why?
1: Oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you talked about Start With Why. So it's, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Um, in fact, this, you can see this little, people ask me what this poster yeah. is in the background right here. <laughs> This is a, it's a flip chart that Simon Sinek used on stage at a conference a few years ago, where he was talking about this concept of the infinite game. I know he's written a book now, mm-hmm. the infinite game just came out. I got it on my shelf here, but uh, he, he kind of ad libbed that talk for the first time four years ago. And I was a big Simon Sinek fan. And so I, I ended up with the flip chart after the conference <laughs> and I took it to him and he signed it for me. So it's kind of signed in the, in the middle there. Yeah. But um, anyway, so, so I'm a big Simon Sinek fan and this idea of why and the way I actually see this manifest the most in modern selling, and I actually talk about this in the book, is this idea of conviction. Mm-hmm. And conviction, when it comes to modern selling, is a very powerful force. And I often ask people, I say, you know, can you tell that I love what I do. Right. I don't know, Tyler, can, I don't know if you can
0: tell or not. I can tell. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I can sense the enthusiasm. So, so you, you can sense it. Like
1: it's a feeling you yep. get. Like I didn't, I didn't tell you all these things and maybe I'm throwing out data that sounds convincing, but people can tell. And so I yep. often ask people, I say, well, so when you go out and you talk to your customers, mm-hmm. can they tell, like you mentioned you have a couple of kids, I have three kids and I know when my kids come to me <laughs> and they're about to proposition me for something like they want to lift to the mall or they want right. to, they want to download an app. Like, I can tell immediately by the way they approach me. I don't know if you've ever heard like the dad, like, okay, the answer is no. Right. (laughs) And so people are very perceptive. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell that I love what I do. But oftentimes when a seller calls a buyer to describe and starts describing what they do, the buyers can tell, like we as buyers can tell when a salesperson does not believe or does not have conviction in what they're positioning. Right. The challenge is, for most of us, there's a couple of challenges, you know, uh, with so many young sellers in the market. I love young sellers. The problem is we sometimes lack, as young sellers, the conviction when we're trying to call in an older, more experienced buyer whose job we've never done. I talk about this in the book, and I, I wrote a Harvard Business Post about a year ago on this concept called experience asymmetry, which is this imbalance. But the other problem is that for most of us, in terms of what we do in our businesses, the things that we do are actually, if I can call it like... Normal, like you sell software and I train salespeople, like we do like normal things mm-hmm. that right. there's a million other people that do what we do.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: so in order to can kind of connect with a buyer, we have to manifest this amazing conviction around a seemingly kind of to our customers normal thing. Yep, and so that's where back to I'm going to bring this back to Simon Sinek. That's where like the start with why is very powerful because if I can get in touch as a seller with my why and the why of my company, it will allow me to manifest that conviction and in turn, be able to convert more customers through that power of conviction.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think conviction, it's, it's something you can't teach either. Either you have it or you don't. I know I've been in in sales roles in my career, and if you're missing that conviction, or maybe you don't believe in the product or whatever it might be, it, it, People can tell. I mean, it's, it's so obvious. So I think it's a, it's a huge one and it's almost where you need to start. Uh, so, uh, and how would you, so if you, maybe if you're not feeling that conviction, maybe if you're, if you're in sales and you're, you're struggling with that, how would you go about finding something like that? Or what can a company do to maybe, you know, bring conviction to their sales floor? How, how could a company enable their sales floor to be convicted?
1: For sure. So I have an exercise and I, I talk about this in the book and I also have an article, a free article on my website. It's called sell more by leading with what you believe. Hmm. And the best organizations and the best salespeople, they don't talk about, and I, you know, this is a very common theme for me, forget the product. It doesn't matter what the product is, like what the features and functions are like 5.0 and here we, like no one cares. Okay. They're very busy. So instead of leading with the, the product, lead with what you believe. So think about this. If you were to take your company or product, and and forget what it does, encapsulate it in a belief statement. Say, you know what, at Cerebral Selling, we believe that. And then what you want to do is you want to point to a specific, well-understood, but not often articulated problem. You want to make sure that you don't mention your products or services directly, because that kills it. It makes it sound like a pitch. People are very resistant to pitches. So, you know, for example, I might say, you know what? At cerebral selling, I believe that sales is the best profession in the world. But I also believe that there are a lot of bad salespeople out there that are actually, in, their, in all fairness, they're not bad people. They're just using old, outdated tactics that, are, you know, that no longer resonate with buyers. And I believe that if you want to be successful in the modern sales era, you need to get attuned to your customer and use tactics that are scientifically proven and empathetic. Now, I'm just giving you these examples. And there's tons of examples I can give. But I did not mention my products or services anywhere in that pitch. I just talked about like what I, what I intrinsically believe. And if you believe what I believe, then you're going to lean in and you're going to say, tell me, tell me more. What is this? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and the best the best companies, the best sellers in the world, lead with what they believe.
0: Yep. Do you think it's a company's responsibility to you know arm arm folks with that I believe statement? Uh, do you think that should be done at the at the senior level of an organization, such that when they're when they're onboarding a new sales rep, they could say, "Well, here's what we believe." Do you think that's their responsibility at that point?
1: It, you know, it you know it is. Although I don't see that often done. Oh. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at a, a company. And you look at how their general salespeople pitch and position their products. So just a very simple question. If I said, what do you do? You're like, what do you do? Like, what do you say? And oftentimes salespeople say, oh, we're a technology company. We build software that helps people automate and yep. improve efficiency and da, 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 Et
0: cetera, et cetera. But if
1: I asked <laughs> the CEO of the company, that company, what do you do? I wouldn't probably get a functional description of like the product. I would mm. get an elevated message, especially if you're, you know, a, a VC funded company, you're yep. trying to raise money you're selling the vision. I would get that different message. And so in a way it is their responsibility because as a, as a leader as a CEO, it's your responsibility to be the keeper of the vision mm-hmm. and help the rest of the people on your team articulate that vision. But the trick to doing that, because oftentimes we listen to CEOs and we say like that sounds great, like the way what they said like right. it was awesome. So the question is how do you take what they say and distill it down into a format that's very easy for a rank and file brand new sales rep to replicate. And that's, you know, from an enablement standpoint, that's kind of parcel what you got
0: to do yeah exactly and I think that's a big piece of onboarding uh it's not just giving them the tools the product knowledge the you know here's how to work the CRM here's how here's what our sales process looks like here's how to update your pipeline but it's also here's why we're here here's why this is this here's why this company exists and here's why you should have that conviction that we all need for you to have obviously as you know to to actually go out and 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 sing this from the rooftops and and to actually advance angelize what we're talking about not just the product or service but the ideas the why behind that product or service so
1: absolutely well especially if you're like a new or growing company mm-hmm. the product or service will change yep right the, ideally the mission doesn't change right like we're still trying to solve the same problems you know that exist in the world for our customers but the product will change over time and also you know your customers will change over time mm-hmm. but if they believe in the mission like they'll, the same customers will stick with you. A mission is like a lightning rod, but yep. right? It attracts the right kind of customers, which yep. is what you want
0: to do. And it attracts the right kind of employees too. I think it can, it's, it works on both fronts, which is important because as we know, people are our most important assets. So to kind of to, we're, we've been talking about sales enablement, but I'd love to kind of hear, what does sales enablement mean to you, David? How would you define it? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, so what I see, you know, a lot on the market is sales enablement are the ones that, you know, kind of help, um coordinate and provide tools and methodologies and training and content to the sales team to help them do their job better. Like that's the classical definition of like a sales enable, We enable people. But to me, enablement has a very strong diagnostic component. So imagine like if you went to like the doctor, right? And you think of the doctor as an enablement person. If you went to the doctor and you just said, hey, doctor, I think I need an antibiotic for like this, this rash, and they're like, okay. Like, oh doctor, I think I need this for that. They're like, okay. And they just, are they enabling you? Like in a way, you know, they're enabling you, you know, if I can, if I can say like enablement, you can you can enable like an alcoholic, right? By giving them, you know, giving them alcohol. And so in a way, it's not just the what do you need? Let me get that for you. There needs to be a diagnostic element, which is like, I'm gonna help you figure out what it is you need, right? Oftentimes as sales leaders, we're in the trenches, we're on calls, we're working with our teams. We need another set of eyes, right, to be looking at our operation and using data to diagnose what the problem is. So, from a, a doctor's analogy perspective, you're coming in and, hey, look, you have this rash. You think you need an antibiotic, but I, no, know I'm going to say, hold on a second. I want to do some analysis and diagnosis, and I'm going to be part of the kind of diagnostic team to tell you what you need. I'm going to be this extra set of value added eyes. So that's what I think enablement. To a large
0: part, should be mm-hmm, right. And do you feel like it? Do you feel like sales leaders are too much in the trenches to see that? Do you think it needs to be a third party, another set of eyes that are fresh, or do you think that sales leaders can, you know, do all the things they do in their day to day and also kind of maybe do some of that diagnosis as well?
1: I think they can. I mean, you know, sales enablement as like a as a segment is you know in the in the in the lifespan of sales organizations is still a relatively new construct, right? Data isn't. We've always had data and it was the responsibility of sales leaders to help look and diagnose the data. So no, I I think it's actually no different than even negotiations. So one of my favorite books is, I know a lot of people out there has never split the difference by Chris Voss. And he talks about how, you know, when you're training negotiators or when you're on a high stakes negotiation, it's not like one negotiator, one bad guy, like talking to each other. It's it's bad guy. And like five negotiators, one person's talking, the rest are listening to pick up on nuances that maybe this first person is missing, right? So, no, I I think that from a sales perspective, this is something they can and should be doing because you need to be in tune with your sales team. But the extra set of eyes now that, you know, sales enablement has become like a a well substantiated role in a lot of companies is a huge value add.
0: Mm-hmm, right. And you also mentioned kind of other people listening in. I mean, I think with a lot of call recording technology, uh, tools like Zoom, where a lot of people can view the tape that used to be you had to be there and it was, uh, you know, a first hand uh, recollection of what went down. Now the tape doesn't lie. Uh, you can actually go back and see the transcript, see how many questions you asked, see how many times you interrupted uh, that person to understand, you know, where you went wrong and what you you need to work on? So uh, where do you think tools like that kind of fall into your, this philosophy of, of cerebral selling?
1: Oh yeah, no, it's next level. I mean, I'm a big fan of tools like Zoom and Gong and Outreach. And the idea is like these tools can give us insights that we didn't even know about before. Right. Mm -hmm. So like this question of, you know, how, how do top reps respond when they get objections from their customers? Well, it turns out, 54% 54% of the time, t- according to Gong, top reps respond with a question mm-hmm. versus, you know, 30 some odd percent of the time, average performers like just go into like their monologue. Right? <laughs> right. Or, you know, you know, using phrases like, does that make sense? Or, oh, I'm sorry, or what are the best opening lines that help maximize conversion on a cold call? Like these are things that a lot of times, and this is actually part of the big problem that exists and how we kind of got into this situation, if I can call it that from sales enablement, is that so much of sales has been here's what I did. Mm -hmm. Here's what you should do, right? Without using the data. And so now that we have all of the, and I say that in terms of like how sales leaders operate, this is what worked for me at my company. And that kind of gets passed along, even though it didn't work. And so the idea is we can use all these tools to kind of use data to inform our suspicions and opinions to, to get better.
0: So it sounds like, do you think now sales leaders should, it should be less of, well, here's what worked for me a few years back and more of, well, here's what the data is telling us today. Is that, is that the, the, the change there?
1: Yes. Well, I think also, yeah. So here's what the data is telling us today. It also depends like what you're selling and who you're selling it to. So a lot of companies are, you know, uh, have these brand new solutions that have never existed. They're trying to create a category. Mm-hmm. And so I can't just sell you like CRM or marketing automation. Like, you know what that is. Now I'm just going to sell you my version, which is better. Yep. I need to sell you on like the whole category and the whole problem first, right? And so there's a lot of, you, you can't just do, well, here's what I did, mm-hmm. right? But also there's a lot been a lot of changes in how buyers actually buy. And the funny thing is, and I talk about this in my book, which is coincidentally called Sell the Way You Buy, mm-hmm. is that as buyers, we're often like not even aware of the pathways by which we make purchasing decisions in the first place. <laughs> so kind of, you know, charging in with like as a salesperson, we're like, oh, rootin' tootin' with my products and features. Like <laughs> that's not how people actually buy. And so there's a healthy dose of like really understanding your buyer. Mm-hmm. Um to help them along that journey, which is uh, a lot different than it used to be five, 10 years ago.
0: And what do you think, if you were to, some of those key ideas of how has the way people buy, how has that changed? Uh, what, how does it look different now than it did five or 10 years ago? What are some of those yeah. key ideas?
1: Well, one of the biggest things is that there are just so many solutions mm. flooding the market, right? In every category, the example I often give is like, you know, in marketing technology, right? Of Which HubSpot's a part. So in the marketing technology space alone, in 2011, and people have seen this, the marketing technology landscape 150 vendors. In 2011, in April of 2019, there were over 7,000. So I think we're due for another another update here. But like that's a huge increase. And so as a as a vendor, you believe that your solution is special and unique and well differentiated. But to a buyer, you're just like stuck in a sea of sameness. You're just there's a million people that do what you do. And so that's been one of the biggest challenges, of course. That kind of uh, attention span deficit uh, exists not only from the vendor perspective, but just as people. Like we're just so busy, we're so distracted. and we're way more peer driven than we were before. You know, five, ten years ago, sites like g two crowd or or TripAdvisor, like these were not as prolific, right? So the way we actually make decisions, well, fundamentally has been the same, the pathways and the choice that we have is is vastly different than it used to be.
0: And if I'm a sales leader and I'm trying to enable my team to do better and hit their number, how can I use some of that peer-driven reviews? How can I use that that new kind of way that people are researching their their product or service? How can I use that to my advantage?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so one of the ways I mean, you look at, this was data that Salesforce put a little while back, but like the conversion rate on a lead is the highest by by quite by multiples when it comes to conversions from referrals or employees or, or kind of trusted advisors, right? Even more so, of course, you know, 50 times more than an email campaign, more than like a social recommendation and so on. So this idea of, you know, like, think about this, when I started my business, and I needed a logo, mm-hmm. okay, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's like a million people that can design logos. In fact, you know, you, you sometimes when people they are looking for sales trainers, what do they do? They go out on LinkedIn and they say, does anyone know any good sales trainers? And, <laughs> <No>. I, and <laughs> I hate that, right?
0: They, get, so 50, 50 they get 50 responses. Yeah. And
1: like, how are you supposed to know? Right. So I had to go get a logo designed for my business. So what do I do? I go to my buddy who got a logo recently designed for his business. And I said, what did, what did you do? Like, what, how did you get this logo? And he told me and I just did that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I wanted to go with my wife away. It was our anniversary. I needed. To, we were going to go to a winery. I'm like, I asked a friend of mine in the area, I'm like, where should I go? And he's like, he tells me. And I'm like, okay, great. And I just did that. <laughs> and, so, and so how can companies use it? I mean, partially, it's, uh, it's really understanding the value of advocacy mm-hmm. and really putting your best customers in the forefront of your marketing. And I'm not talking about Case studies on the slides and all that kind of stuff. And I'm talking about getting them out there. You know, the reviews, oftentimes, you know, people will go on TripAdvisor when they're trying to book a vacation and they'll look at how many stars and Amazon, the same thing. So mm-hmm. really getting your customers out there is a great way of kind of creating that social proof that a lot of buyers are looking for nowadays.
0: And it sounds like this kind of naturally segues into a conversation about marketing and sales alignment. It sounds like from a marketing perspective, kind of making that advocacy easily digestible for prospects throughout the sales process, it sounds like is a big role that marketing could play in the way that buyers are buying now to help these sales teams achieve their number. Is that, would you think that's fair? Or what would you add there?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, marketing and sales have to be working in lockstep. You know, everything from how we're generating leads, the quality of those leads, to actually another piece, which I call the messaging supply chain. Hmm. And, and one of the biggest kind of, can play that out a little bit, I have a, a video about it on my YouTube channel. One of the the biggest challenges, and it's it's partially with 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 marketing and sales, but it's also with sales and customer success, like post sales support, mm-hmm. is that oftentimes these groups say different things. If mm-hmm. I were to you know put them in a soundproof isolation chamber and say like, "Hey, what, what do we do at, at our company?" <laughs> I would hear different things. And it's and what happens is it, it tends to manifest actually quite a lot in sales and customer success because. Sales sells something. It goes to customer success. The customer success or the you know support rep reaches out to the customer. They say, "Okay, great. We're get we're excited to get you started." And, and you know, and and the customer says, "Great. Well, we're really excited to start doing this." And then customer success says, "Well, that's not what we do. Is that what sales told you we do, right?" Mm. And it creates that divide. And it's the same thing on the on the kind of the marketing side, whether it's on your website or whether kind of your business development or BDR function rolls up to marketing. The things that they say have to be the same things that the sales team says when they get on the phone with the customer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that messaging supply chain and alignment is super important.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great point to especially bring up what happens post-sale because that's where the customer success team is usually managing expectations about what the sales rep may or may not have told them and what the product or service can actually do. So uh, I think it's important because... At the end of the day, that's a, a perfect opportunity to create a great experience that that kickoff call uh, or it's a perfect opportunity to create a huge opportunity for buyers remorse. So I think that is is one thing. And how do you think sales sales teams or, or people that are doing enablement and sales leaders, how can they decrease the likelihood that reps are maybe overpromising? you know, throughout the sales process? What can what can be done to try to alleviate that as much as possible?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's kind of two things. Number one, there's like the message alignment, which is like, are we saying the same thing? Mm-hmm. And then there's it comes down to features. So we don't ever yeah. want to be in sales a position where we're just saying that the product can do things because our customers do want to know, okay, what can it actually do? We don't want to overpromise on the feature front, but definitely like on the messaging front, one of the easiest ways to kind of ensure that consistency is to focus on oftentimes not the product, mm-hmm. but like the enemy. Hmm. Right, so this or the problem, if I can call it that, like don't fall in love (laughs) with the product, fall in love with the problem. Mm -hmm. So if everyone's very aligned on like what the enemy is, then it makes those conversations with customers a lot easier. So for example, my third startup, this was the company we were acquired by Salesforce. Mm -hmm. We were a feedback, coaching, and recognition platform, Hmm. and so at work, people want lots of feedback, coaching, and recognition. HubSpot was actually a customer of ours. Cool. They want lots of feedback, coaching, and recognition of how they're doing at work. But the problem is if we just lead with a message of, oh, it's like feedback and coaching and recognition, people would be like,
0: okay, who, who cares? Yeah. yeah, who cares? Like, okay, I okay.
1: guess that's good, you know? <laughs> but so what we did, what we found was like, what was the enemy? And the enemy oftentimes was this process that people have, they say process because I'm Canadian, <laughs> was this uh, this process called the, the annual performance review that people hated. Yep. People actually use the word hate to describe. So yep. what we, we led with was like, People love feedback, but they hate performance reviews, Mm -hmm. right? People love to buy things, but they hate talking to salespeople. Men love to dress well, but they hate to shop, Mm. right? And so like all of these messages where you're just focusing more on the enemy, right, than you are on the problem, on the product, absolutely helps everyone promote alignment. Because every time we speak to a customer, we're we're talking their language. We're Mm -hmm. speaking about the problem that they're looking to solve. And then it becomes less about, you know, the features and functions are very important that we all kind of say what it can do. But oftentimes where we kind of miss is we start talking about case studies and the wrong types of enemies. So have that, have that consistent message very important.
0: Right. Yeah. I love that idea of having a consistent enemy, if you will, uh, because I think it's easy. It's easy for people to grasp onto those, those examples that you just gave are recognizable. People, people relate to them. Nobody likes a an annual performance review, but people do want feedback. So, mm-hmm. so it's, I think it's a, it's a great way to frame it. And I think if you can frame your enemy as a company across all of your client facing roles, I think, you know, it would, it would lead to a higher, a higher experience, better experience for your clients across the board throughout the buyer's journey, um, which I think is important. As we think about the buyer's journey and you think about mapping a sales process to that buyer's journey, do you you talk at all about that in cerebral selling or, or what do you think the role, the way that buyers are buying now, how do we, how should we build a sales process that maps to that way that buyers are buying now?
1: yeah, so I'd say two things to that. So number one, when we were building our third startup, we didn't do that initially, and it came back to bite us. And what I mean was when people would sign up for free trial, so we had a free trial of our service on our website, they would sign up, and then what we would actually do is kind of funny. um we would only ask for minimal information, you know, first name, last name, email, that kind of stuff, maybe phone number. And then what we would do is that we would we would take that lead list and we would ship it off overseas to a team that started googling these people and LinkedIn them and trying to give us more information about them so that we could you know respond to those leads and with a lot of context the problem was that by the time we actually got that information back it was you know at best 14 hours later and at worst and at worst 36 hours later and and we knew, and then what we we thought we were so smart but in reality you know that the chances of you converting that lead drops off dramatically after the first you know 10 minutes never mind the first hour And so we changed our process after we realized that like the people were losing interest after that first initial time to make sure that we could reach out faster. And so I would say, absolutely. Take a look at how do your customers buy? Are you signing up for free trials? Are they doing research online? Are you living where they are? So that process is really important, but I would say, so that's, that hasn't been, that's been a focus definitely in the startups that I've led sales teams at, but in terms of sell the way you buy, the main enemy now, because there's so many solutions out there on the market and so many salespeople and, and people are inundated with messages, is actually like the attention, their attention span. So I prefer to focus on what do you say in that first few moments when the customer is interacting with your brand, not to explain what you do, but to get them to lean in and say, tell me more about this. So people buy feeling first and foremost, and I know B2B technology, which is where I grew up and most of my clients in the B2B tech space, that's where we're kind of lagging, quite honestly, behind where the consumer space is. And the consumers know whether you're selling a pharmaceutical, a car, a mortgage, a credit, whatever it is, lead with the feeling first. And that's what we need to do as well. And so thinking about like the enemy, leading with what you believe, you know, when you think about the buyer's journey, it all starts with that initial lean in to say, tell me more. And that's where in my view, the B2B businesses have to focus. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and it sounds like those feelings and those enemies can go hand in hand. I mean, essentially it's that, that one message, which might incorporate both is what could really have an impact and, and, and get them to lean in and get them to tell me, tell me more, which is, as you know, music to any sales <laughs> rep's ears. So, you know, you, you know, you've got a live one then. So I want to, a great conversation. I want to, I want to go to our lightning round, a uh, few, few questions that I like to ask everybody, David, uh-huh. what book would you recommend to our audience and and why?
1: Yeah. I mean, so one of my favorite sales books is Dan Pink's to sell as human. It's a great book because I mean, Dan Pink is not a salesperson, but he believes as I do that everyone nowadays is in sales mm-hmm. and we don't teach it. And so it kind of gives a lot of great sales tactics in that book, but a lot of richer, deeper understanding of what it means to sell and uh, lots of great stories. I'm a big fan of to sell as human.
0: Yep. Great book. What is your favorite home cooked meal made by you or someone in your family?
1: So I, you know, one of the things I do is I love to cook and uh, if you want to be like a hero with your kids, that's, that's what you got to do. But it's funny, like when I, when I think about what the thing I like to, you know, that brings the most memories, it's kind of, it's not the most complicated thing, but it's definitely the most emotionally charged, which is like my, my Saturday morning waffles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's not that they're the the most delicious, although they are delicious. Um, (laughs) but it's just, you know, when I make the waffles on Saturday morning with my kids and with the chocolate chips and the whole thing, it's like, it means weekend family mm-hmm. to me. And even though, you know, even though there's more elaborate dishes, that's that's kind of the thing that I always look forward to every awesome. week.
0: Any special ingredients you like to put in the waffles or anything you top them with that's uh, unique or?
1: Well, you know, I'm I, I like to keep it, you know, like pr- pretty pure for whole ingredients, some buttermilk, some mm-hmm. butter, chocolate chips. Yeah. You know, I do put a little bit of uh, wheat bran in there to make it a little bit healthier. The kids never know.
0: <laughs> Don't uh, tell them, right?
1: Chop walnuts? <laughs> but no, it's uh, and then you for bonus points, you can make a homemade apple sauce put it on top. It's oh, delicious. there you
0: go. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds delicious. Uh yeah. what a software tool or app could you not live without?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I think number one is, is Zoom. Like we're on Zoom right now. Um, I love Zoom. You know, one of the things with Zoom, not only is it, is it great and convenient and there's lots of video software out there, but I'm a big fan of the, the power of video hmm. in terms of uh, creating relationships, in terms of improving self-disclosure, even as it relates to doing discovery. Like ask yourself, if you're on a discovery call with a customer, are they more likely to tell you things that, they're, you know, that are important <laughs> if you're on video or if you're on a phone call? Right. so like something simple as Zoom to promote that power video is uh, tremendous.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I've seen some of the data on that, that it definitely makes a difference to keep the video on in those circumstances. So so turn your video on sales teams. Let's see if you could go back in time 10 years and give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be?
1: So, you know, having... Been in kind of you know the, the professional sales career for for 20 plus years now. I have the benefit of hindsight of seeing kind of the trends and patterns in my career. And I think one of the biggest challenges in sales is that most of us think that we need to keep moving up and getting promoted in the sales profession, especially because we're, we tend to sit beside you know people account reps, BDrs that do the same thing as us. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, you you want to get promoted, right? Oh, well, I want to get promoted too. Like, you want to be a senior? I want to be a senior. So we end up in this kind of a little bit of a race where we end up in roles that we don't, it's not our favorite thing to do. Like we're not using the best of ourselves sometimes, but we're doing it because we think we should, Hmm. right? And so my advice, if I were to go back in time, is to really focus on like, what is it that you love doing in your job? And, And separate the love that you, the love for the thing you're doing from the title, right? Because I feel like it would help you chart a slightly better and more fulfilling career path. When you ask yourself like the difference between what, could I do versus what should I do based on what I love? And I have a little uh, video on my YouTube channel if people want to check it out. I call it like the the kind of like increasing your, your proportion of the, the kind of the love quotient, which mm-hmm. is in every job, you, there's things that you do that you love. How can I do more of those love things in the next job versus mm-hmm. like focusing on the titles? That would be the, the thing. awesome 10 years
0: ago yeah and we'll link uh we'll link to that video the love video from your youtube channel in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out finally david how can how can folks find you online Uh, what would be the best way to connect
1: yeah i mean the simple thing is uh, cerebral selling.com and uh, i give away mostly everything for free uh, except for my training materials and my book but articles videos podcasts recordings like everything to help so cerebral selling.com is the best way Um, you can reach out to me there or you can find me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. I'm a regular kind of poster, but you can also find me Instagram, you know, Twitter, the whole thing. But yeah, cool website and uh,
0: LinkedIn. And we'll link to cerebralselling.com as well as David's LinkedIn profile. David, I really want to appreciate you joining today. Great conversation. We'll have to have you back on at some point, but I really appreciate your time. I know the audience got a lot of value. So thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Hey, no, my
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas, plus action equals results. You've got new ideas, now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.